This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. Shots, a Spectator's Daily and today more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth, Isabel Hardman and Kate Andrews. We've just heard from the Chancellor. He's had a bit of a day. It began with a U-turn on the 45p tax rate, the plan to abolish the tax for the highest earners. And it meant, Kate, that overnight we had a situation where the trail of his speech didn't quite fit exactly what he said today. Can you fill us in on his tone and message? So I would say that his his tone and words were very careful. It wasn't perhaps a speech that he was originally writing in the sense that his budget rabbit, his huge surprise, his big tax cut of abolishing the 45p rate was U-turned on this morning. And so he had to deliver a speech essentially defending his mini-budget, although this sort of central piece and very symbolic piece of public policy had been removed from it. I mean, my takeaway from his speech is that he's very sorry. You know, and he, he, and he won't do it again? Well, I don't... <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure I'd commit to saying he won't do it again. But having not paid any lip service whatsoever to fiscal discipline in his mini budget 10 days ago, today we got just a double down on how fiscally responsible this government's going to be. He was talking about the strong institutional framework that was delivered by the Bank of England and the Office for Budget Responsibility, despite his government picking fights with both of these bodies over the past few weeks. Crucially, he was talking about how his growth agenda needed to have fiscal discipline attached to it in order for it to be successful. And there was a really remarkable line where he said there's no path to higher sustainable growth without fiscal responsibility. Conservatives have always known this and we know it still. That last bit of the line I think is a direct response to the legitimate criticism that this government wrongly assumed it could keep borrowing and they would be able to do it on the cheap and markets would be happy about it. The past 10 days suggest they're really not happy about it and this speech was a bit of a mea culpa. Isabel what struck out to you? I think it was bold to still talk about having iron commitments to anything. I think a downgrading in the materials being used, possibly to sort of string or something like that, might have been a little bit more accurate. I thought it was interesting. He's obviously, he knows, because he spent you know, the past 24 hours in meetings with, with Tory MPs when he's not had meetings with the Prime Minister planning his, his U-turn. He knows that spending cuts that are coming down the line are going to be very difficult to manage and so his line about you can't fund the NHS you can't fund our armed forces you can't fund education without growth I think was an attempt to say to Conservative MPs you need to come with us on this because we we are going to fund public services properly but we need to get the economy back on track now I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to hold their nerve because as you know we've all had conversations with MPs and I'm not talking about the sort of people who supported Rishi Sunak I'm talking about Tory MPs who supported Liz Truss and you know even were defending her you know last night today who are feeling quite humiliated and quite anxious about what is going to happen next which U-turn is coming next and so you know is there a sort of is there something for them to to hold on to to say actually no it's going to be okay from now on I'm not sure that speech provided it I'm not sure that speech could have provided it either. James do you think Kwasi Kwarteng's speech would have calmed the markets at all because that's the other audience here? 
I think the emphasis on fiscal responsibility is designed to say, we get it. I know there was a remarkable moment when he said that the kind of key dividing line with Labour was fiscal responsibility, which is very much not the theme, I think, of the pre-budget statement 10 days ago, which was, I mean, I thought it was a, a wonderful Freudian slip when he sounded like he said 10 years ago rather than 10 days ago. It feels uh, that it, way. It, it does it sometimes feel that way. It that much. Um, <laughs> and I think, I, think, I think it was an attempt to shift back to more traditional Tory ground. But there is also this other challenge, which is they want to embrace certain bits of the past 12 years. So they want to embrace the restraint on public spending, for example, that meant that the UK went into the COVID crisis with a relatively low debt-to-GDP ratio. They want to embrace the continued low levels of unemployment. But they also want to say that you've got to do things differently to get growth. And I mean, I mean, they're, I mean they're still trying to work out how to square that circle. I think to be fair to Kwasi Kwarteng, today's speech... He couldn't really, you couldn't, it would not be realistic to think that he could score runs in it. He had to get through it without anything else going wrong. And he got through it without anything else going wrong. This was not like a Theresa May moment where things fell off the wall behind him or anything like that. He has got through it. He has made it through today. That, I think, in a way, is all you realistically could hope to do in that speech. I mean, one of the problems is there are people here not among the MPs, but among the, the, the activists, who would be quite up for defending the 45p tax rate. And I think that there was a slightly, a slight low-energy vibe in the hall was because people weren't quite sure what they were doing. Is it, was this a kind of, you know, we won't give in to the politics of envy? Well, you can't really do that having budged on 45p. Kate, do you think Kwasi Kwarteng is in a better or worse position than he would have been had he stuck with the 45 and not U-turn this morning? Oh, that's a good question, Katie. I mean, I think it depends on the audience. The markets have responded positively, although somewhat quietly, to the U-turn. And it's obviously not because U-turning on the 45p tax rate fills the holes in the public finances. It was actually, in terms of the entire tax package, a very small proportion of what was what was being cut. But I think it's because it's an indication that the government realizes that just announcing all of these policies without any preparation and without any plans to fund them was a misguided thing to do. And so in that sense, you know, I think he's he's gone into his speech with the markets in a slightly better position and got through it without sending them into free fall again. I mean, we'll see, but I don't think anything in there would have really freaked them out, especially because he did start paying lip service to, to fiscal responsibility. But yeah, you, you could tell, I mean, the hall was very full. People were anticipating this speech, but I think there is a real disappointment that if you were part of, if, if you really felt connected to what Liz Truss was selling you during the campaign, that she was going to make those tough arguments, she was going to make those tough decisions, that you were going to get a real free market agenda on the tax cutting side, you're probably a bit disappointed. And I think a lot of people will feel like it isn't that they lost the argument about the 45p rate. They never made it in the first place. Isabel, has Liz Truss's government got life in it yet? <laughs> yes, in the sense that it's going to have a little bit more space this week to talk about other things. But that what, whether those other things have a chance of coming to fruition, being implemented, getting past Tory MPs is another matter because, I mean, the idea that killing the abolition of the 45p rate was going to send Michael Gove away, for instance, is fanciful. He's only just getting started. And what a fringe event is he currently on, do you know? <laughs> yes. I, I suspect the number of fringe events he's doing is, is multiplying by the hour. Yeah. He's obviously got Grant Shapps, who he's also, has also been working very hard to 
push back against what the government's doing. He's quite good at organising amongst MPs. And, you know, that there is a, even though there's not the sort of the senior Rishi Sunak contingent at conference, there are a lot of pro-Rishi MPs who are sort of chuckling bitterly today. James, how much of a sense of doom are you picking up? I think the big question is what happens when the government comes forward with another big idea? How much contamination, if you see what I mean, from this whole U-turn is there to the rest of the government's agenda? Because the message that very much is coming out from ministers at this conference is, yeah, look, it was a distraction, we've junked it, we're moving on, but don't think we're junking the whole agenda, you know, and that's what this speech was trying to say. And this speech again emphasised the kind of eight supply-side reforms they want to do and all this stuff. Yeah, he talks about house building, which is another one that's going to be really difficult. And so so I think the big question is, when that next comes out, do Tory MPs say, okay, that's the leadership, We'll, we'll, we'll fall into line? Or do you immediately get people saying, no, 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 don't like this, don't like that? And I mean, that, that in a way, we won't know what this has done until we see the next big initiative from the trust government and how it lands. I mean, because, you know, there is a world in which we are now in a situation where she is, as all prime ministers end up being, but where she is governing in coalition with her parliamentary party. Or can she recover some of that authority? And just finally, Isabel, how is cabinet discipline holding up? I've been chairing a panel which had Kemi Badenock on on free trade, but we brought up the 45p rate and she put in a defence, said it was, you know, cabinet hadn't been consulted, the decision had been made, but the growth plan stood and she wanted to press on. Are we getting a sense that ministers, at least publicly, are staying on message? We had a Penny Morden address last night. (laughs) Yes, she... um... This was at about midnight. She was talking to the Conservatives in comms reception where she told those present that the that we've learned that our policies are good but our comms are... SH1T, I think. Yes, yeah, that's, that's it. Word. Thank you, James, for, for keeping this podcast classy. Um, PG. So, but obviously it turned out the policy wasn't great either within about half an hour. And I think cabinet ministers are staying more low profile than you might expect i know that the number 10 and cchq press operation have been having to fill slots that have been randomly vacated by cabinet ministers and and more junior ministers who discovered that they had double bookings one case one was actually then seen wandering around the conference center in the time that he was supposed to be doing a broadcast that he'd pulled out of which was um probably not very subtle but I think when when ministers start to to disappear from the airwaves that is almost as telling as as when they start criticizing their government or at least it's a step on the way to that thank you Isabel thank you James and thank you for listening